a podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, oh, happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA Podcast. This one's called Being a Remote CEO, leader of a micro multinational. Speaking of CEO, yes. I've got the boss man on the line all the way from Austin, Texas. How you doing, good sir? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. So this episode is going to be like story time with Ian. You're going to share with us some interesting stories about conversations you've had, about your experiences leaving a warehouse, leaving an office, leaving a team. How big's your team right now, by the way? Well, we've got like 10 people, I think, in San Diego. You've left the office for well over a year. You, know, you live away from the office. You've lived in Europe. You've lived in Asia. We're going to talk about some stories, some mindset issues surrounding that. Before we get into story time with Ian, I just wanted to share this really exciting event we're working on for high-level entrepreneurs, people that are interested in wealth management, not just developing one or two cash flows, but people, we have net worth standards. We're going to be posting that inside the DC. I think there's really unique topics for people who've made it work location independently. That's a bit about what today's episode's about, but this idea of you can actually build wealth while being location independent, and that changes the way you build wealth, right? You know, a company our size would not necessarily have two or three different locations of incorporation at our level. A company our size might not necessarily have employees in four different countries at our level. Right. This is a whole new thing that's happening over the last couple of years, Dan. I mean, this is how people used to operate with $100, $500 million companies. Now it's us, much smaller scale companies, but still doing these kinds of things, traveling around, having employees around the world. So I'm really, really, really excited about this event. Yeah. So we're going to do what we do, try to pull together the leaders, the people that are, you see the future on this stuff, that are living the future, get them together in one room. We're going to post about that in the DC. If there is any spaces left, we'll mail out to the TMBA list. Again, there's just a lot of stuff happening that doesn't show up on the show. We want the show to be about our experiences running businesses, not so meta all the time. Although I did like in the Howard Stern show when that it got meta. My favorite episodes were always when it was like Jackie and Howard going at it. <laughs> yeah. When it turns in on itself, like that's what happens. Uh, Where'd Robin go? The point is, is that if you want to hear about what's going on behind the show and you're not in the DC, check out our mailing list. It's at tropicalmba.com. Okay. So enough on that. I'm sure we'll have some plenty of stories from that event to share on the show. Plenty of knowledge. Speaking of knowledge, today we're going to talk about some stories from the notebook of a remote CEO. Let's play that classy bass walk and maybe even a string quartet since it's story time with Boss Man. So I'm sitting in Bangkok, Dan, after the event in DCBKK. One of my favorite parts of DCBKK is having breakfast because there's always just like stacks of tables of people with delicious food and having great conversation. And it's just really fun to see everybody halfway hungover trying to have an intelligent conversation about business. But one of the people that was not hungover who I was talking to, we were having a conversation about remote CEO. He started asking me questions because he's got a very similar business to ours, Dan, in terms of size, I think, and, and employees. And he was asking me questions like, hey, you know, 
you're kind of traveling, you're kind of not in San Diego where your office and your warehouse is. Like, how does that work out? I started to think about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm in a pretty unique situation, you know? I guess we do talk about it all the time, but it's really hard for people that are in that situation where you have an office, you've built a business, it's in a central location and you want to start traveling. Like, what do you do at that point? It's always kind of been built into our businesses that we would start traveling out. But there's a lot of things that have happened. Like for you, I think it was a lot easier. You just like stepped out the door one day and like just kept walking. For me, I was like fanning that door for years, you know? (laughs) The gentleman that you were speaking with, what were his fears and could you relate to them? They were all my same fears too when we were first starting out traveling, you know? What are people's expectations? Why am I at the office? Should I be at the office? All that stuff. And so this all leads to this one time. And this was the first time that I really left the office for any good amount of time. Let me back you up just for a hot second, because I received an email the other day that said the Portable Bar Company, which we've tracked the progress on the show, has grown five times year over year in November. You got the memo over the wire. It was like, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. I'm still copying on that stuff. And we're talking about a high five <laughs> figures number. We're talking about this business is growing. You are living away from the office. So this is the background to all these stories. We're going to go back and I want to hear the stories from the early days. But you're managing to grow this business. And I ask you that because there's a meme going around in the community that says traveling is maintaining and you know staying in one place is growing. Do you agree with that? I think it really depends, man. I I think it depends who you're surrounding yourself with on a daily basis. If you can continue to surround yourself with the people that are helping you to grow your business as you're traveling, like whether that means that they're in the same location as you are or like you don't skip a beat, like you always make your phone calls at 11 a.m. on Thursdays, then yeah, I think it's totally possible. If you're one of these people that basically goes on vacation or some variation of vacation when you travel... I don't know how that works. Maybe not. We can talk about that more later, but take us back to the beginning, maybe when you were the guy with the bacon on the plate worrying about leaving the office. Like, What was the first moment that you realized it was a possibility to be a remote CEO? You know, The first time that I really stepped out of the office for any long period of time was when I went to China and we were trying to start that motorcycle fairing business. And I think that's episode 44. We can talk about how Ian lost us 30 grand. I think you just dumped 30 grand of our hard-earned dollars there, Ian. I don't remember how how much it was, but I, I, it definitely goes up by $5,000 every year we tell this story. I got myself a hotel room in China, in Shenzhen, and it was like a brand new hotel, you know, and it had some like weird things in it. <laughs> like this might have been the first hotel that this group has built. Anyways, I was in China trying to figure out this motorcycle business. And one thing that I learned that was very interesting is that the Chinese can actually build a clubhouse, a golf range clubhouse in 30 days. Yeah, it was like three stories. Yeah. So if they could do that and you can't even leave your business for 30 days, what kind of CEO are you? I was standing out my window every morning I would get up and I was like, to this day, I regret not taking a time lapse. Outside of my front window, they built this building in 30 days. It was incredible. What did that teach you, I guess, about leaving the office? How did you feel differently after the trip? It was very relieving, you know, to find out that like not only did our business grow while I was gone, but like nothing really bad happened, you know? Like I think a lot of times like people stress out about the little things, you know? It's like, well, who's going to sign the checks when I'm gone? Like I don't have a power of attorney, you know? And it's like that people can get really hung up on that. Like I just wrote a stack of checks out, (laughs) blank checks, and I just signed them. And, you know, people have their own worries about that too. But like, hey, if that's what's stopping you from getting out of the office for 30 days, like whatever, sign the check. Worst case scenario, you're out some money, you know? I mean, back then we weren't all working the system and SOP'd out. 
Did you feel like your team performed at the same level? How did they perform given you were on the other side of the world? Yeah, this was very, very early on. I can't even remember, Dan, but I, I know I can open up a chart and see that our business was growing during that time or that we ended up growing after that time, which is really important. You know, One of the things to be mindful of is like me and you, we started traveling out of our businesses very early on. And so you know, it might be a little bit more built into the DNA. But when I say built into the DNA, all I really mean is like you're setting expectations with the people that are at your office, you know? So they're like, oh, that's Ian. He's got like a habit of like traveling nine out of the 12 months out of the year. Like, don't worry if he's not here. Like people get to know that about you, you know? It's like making sudden movements around your cat in a lot of ways, you know? (laughs) It's like they don't like that sudden movement. You've got to let them know what's going on. You got to, if you're going to jump out of bed every morning, just, you know, they get used to it after a while, but not the first day. So what I figured out is that there's four phases of leaving. Feeling needed, feeling wanted, feeling guilty, and then being over yourself. <laughs> a therapist probably could have told me this a lot sooner. It probably <laughs> wouldn't have been the faster route. So the first the first idea is feeling needed. So, you know, when you're in the office, I think and you're the guy or the girl that knows the most about, you know, the market or you have the most expertise, like you really want to feel needed in a lot of ways. You know, so it's like you impart your wisdom on your team or the next person that you hire to hopefully take over your task. And for a while, you want to feel needed, right? Because it feels good when people are asking you questions about how you did things and how you were successful. The other thing is that you feel you are needed, (laughs) you know, like, hey, I'm the only one who can do this stuff. I'm the only one who can make sure everybody's productive. You know, people aren't going to be productive without me. You know, as if you are the only force in their life that makes them want to do work. Right. You ever seen the Lakers win a championship without a coach? I mean, <laughs> doesn't happen, right? Well, and at the beginning, true, I, th- I think it's important that like you were needed in- to start this business in many ways. You had to be there at the beginning in order to set stuff up. Right. And then the next point is wanted. So after a while, when you figure out that you're not needed anymore, you want to be wanted. <laughs> you want people to want you, right? Well, I mean, part of it is like you want to be there, right? And, you know, you're just getting started. There's like this, there's this high and like, that's the main event right now. Yeah. So there's this moment in time when it was like the main event and like you were driving up to the warehouse and doing all this stuff. Yeah. And I think it can be, you know, there's some control things in there with that. And then after that really comes the guilt phase. And, and this is where I spent most of my time. <laughs> <laughs> this was me for a while. So going to the office, not being needed, not being wanted and just kind of feeling guilty. So just essentially being a martyr, right? Like there's no real reason why I need to be here right now. In fact, like I could probably make better of my time if I was not here, but I'm going to feel guilty if I'm not here because I'm worried about what other people in the office think because I haven't, you know, set clear expectations for them. And finally, getting over yourself. This is the point where we all hope to be one day. I think this is like self-actualization level. So not sure if you can ever get there. I get the sense too, it's like showing face. Like I think it's not a bad little litmus test. If you're just showing face, you know, this guilt idea, like we said, like people in your office, they want good work. They don't want you to be there. Like that's not their primary driver in life is to be around you or to be within four feet of you. It's to be a part of something worth being a part of, whether that's because it's a great lifestyle, you're paying them well, or, you know, ideally there's real purpose to your projects. They're working on interesting things. And you can do that without being in the office. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. 
And I think in the future, people are going to understand a lot better than they do in the past, you know, what it means to be physically present. Before, you had to be physically present to do your job, 99% of the people. And that number is going down a lot, you know. In Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, we should reference this book one more time because it's a great book and we always reference it. But We always reference it. It came out a few weeks ago. <laughs> I can't get into a conversation without talking about this book, though. It's- <laughs> he says, what's the one thing that you believe that not many other people believe? And what we believe is that in the future, there will be more location-independent entrepreneurs and workers. And I think that this is something that people are just going to have to get used to. I think this is a relatively benign belief. I've seen New York Times articles about that. By the way, I disagree with a lot of things that Mr. Peter Thiel says. We should have an episode about that. He doesn't think the robots are taking over. I think he's wrong about that. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he's wrong about that. But one point I want to drive home on that, though, is, yes, there has been New York Times articles about this, but this is not a common thing. And the reason it's not common and the reason we're having this whole conversation is because people still aren't comfortable with it. You still have to set expectations. It's not a given that the boss isn't going to be in the office ever. You know, that's like a pretty new thing. It depends what scale of the company again. So we'll get to that in a few points. But let's back cycle here to talk about some worst case scenario thinking. One of the biggest fears that people have when they go remote is that their top employees leave. You actually had this happen. So bring me back there. What did you do about it and how bad was it? This did happen. Let me tell you how upsetting this was. Every day in my life at sunset, I would walk down to the beach and get a homemade popsicle from the guy on 2nd Street and Playa del Carmen. So you were loving life. Yeah, interrupting that kind of flow, you know, it's not a good thing. And that's exactly what happened. Is our operations manager left, or he told me that he wanted to leave. You know, I had to pack it up and get on a plane and go back to San Diego. And it was an interesting experiment because, you know, a few things were happening. Like, number one, I was having to replace this person. But even before that, like, step back, before I got on the plane, like, I had to decide, like, well, do I need to go back? What are the reasons I need to go back? Why do I want to go back, right? The number one reason why I went back to San Diego was not to hire the person. It was actually because of culture. Because I think it sets an interesting tone if basically the leader or the operational leader of your company leaves and I didn't take time to come back and kind of reset that situation and make sure that it was okay for everybody else. I think that there was going to be some culture issues if I didn't do that. So I got on a plane. I went back. I ended up staying for a couple months and we got a replacement and then I took off again. You know, if we're talking about remote CEO, that's the CEO part. You got to be the leader. You can't just be remote. (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting question, though, because you think, well, are you really that remote if you had to go back to San Diego for three months? The answer, I think, is like, well, I didn't have to go back. Like, I decided it was in the best interest of my company to go back. And so I went back. And while I was there, like, of course, I learned a few things about the company. And I had the opportunity to be in the same room as the new person that we hired for a few months. And I think that that's very valuable in these companies is, is... you know, I think that there's people that are probably more articulate than me and like can convey their vision and their messaging and all that, you know, through email and phone calls and whatnot. I'm more of an in-person guy. So for me, it really works if I can be there with this person that's going to be helping me run this company for a couple months. A lot of the CEOs that would always give us the advice, you know, like, hey, you should be with your company and all this stuff. They're traveling too. They're completely remote. 
So I was wondering, is this is a, another example of lifestyle designers sort of putting the cart before the horse or sort of jumping the gun? Like, you know, we live like we're wealthy before we're wealthy. We internationalize before we're a multinational corporation size or whatever. Is it just another example of like we're getting out the door, we're exploring new opportunities, we're living the lifestyle of a, a CEO of a much larger company before we have a huge company? It's funny because you get this kind of, you know, the, the more advanced people, they're kind of like, I can't believe you're, you know, traveling around already. Well, hey, you know, I'm meeting you, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? I'm meeting you who, by the way, you're not at your office either. So I don't know why, you know, why don't I just jump the gun and start acting like, you know, these CEOs, these big companies don't want to play in every other day. <laughs> so, I mean, why can't we work that into the Play-Doh earlier in the game? Do you remember working things into the Play-Doh, by the way? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had a different color Play-Doh, all that stuff. I think you're right. It does depend kind of what scale you're at, though, because we're conducting experiments here. Like you said, we're doing things that much larger companies do, much larger CEOs do much sooner before they did it in the past. And I think the interesting thing about that is that we're doing the same things that we've did several years ago. The tools are just kind of different. But a lot of these patterns, you know, they're just happening at different times. So you wanted to close this episode uh, with an anecdote from Seinfeld. Showing your age? Yeah. But uh, funny guy. Yeah, I was watching the documentary the other day. Is Seinfeld funny? I think Seinfeld is funny, yes. <laughs> I think Seinfeld himself is funny, but I never really got the show. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I just got to go back. During the documentary, that comes through from the executives over at NBC, too. Like, they're just like, I just don't get it. What is it about? It's about nothing? <laughs> nothing? Yeah, they were all wrong. I was watching a documentary, and Jerry and Larry David were just talking about the beginning of Seinfeld and how it all came together. And it's really interesting. You know, these guys didn't really have a plan. One thing that you'll see, though, is that Jerry was on the late, what was it, the late night show? Is that what they called it back then? With Johnny Carson. And he said, you know, Johnny, the Tonight Show. And Johnny said, yeah, so you got the show. And, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, I didn't really have a plan or whatever. He's like, but you've been having me on here for 10 years. And I was like, whoa, this guy's been doing stand-up for 10 years on Carson before he gets this TV deal. Like, yep, that's about right, you know takes that long. He was telling the story about, you know, how it started in the early days and he was a comic. And so, you know, a comic life is not so different than the creative's life. And I think what you and I, Dan, have strived to do over the years, which is own as much of our time as possible. So when you're a comic, you get up and he says you got from 10 to 6 and that's like your time, you know, and then I guess you go to the club at night and perform. But he was really worried about protecting his time, you know, to create things during that time. And so when this opportunity came up for this pilot, you know, he was like a little bit bummed out that he had to give up that time. And I just thought, wow, that's interesting. You got a shot at like this TV deal. You know, nobody knows where it's going to go, but you're most worried about protecting your creative time. You're the only shareholder in your creative time. You know, Creative Self Co., you own 100% of that. Those are the opportunities down, you know, because you combine that with the resources and the platform that your company gives you. And that's why I think it's great to get out the door early because you don't know what's going to happen. There's all kinds of opportunities out the door. You're right. So to bring this full circle, you know, in my darkest days of feeling guilty, I'm sitting in the office, you know, like those are my best creative hours. And like, if I'm not producing for that company, because it's not valuable for me to be there, like, where else can I be? And, you know, trying to continue to own those creative hours is, is very important. So I think once I started to figure that out, you know, and that there were other opportunities out there and even other opportunities in that business, like not even outside of that group, but just, you know, inside of that business, but different places, you know, when I started to really respect that, 
idea that I was burning my best hours in that office just trying to look cool, that really was not a smart decision. So maybe the takeaway is, and I hate to be like, this is not very seinfeld I mean, this is like full house of me. What's the lesson? <laughs> you're going to spell it out for everybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To understand when you're going from the wanted phase to the guilt phase. like Because you want to be there when you want to be there. And the moment you don't want it anymore... Don't go into the should territory. You know, you don't want to be like the guilt man over here. I was just rereading Felix Dennis's How to Get Rich. That's such a great book. Our philosophies are different, but his approach to following your compulsion, he's basically saying like, look, to be successful, identifying good opportunities and doing what you think you want to do isn't enough. You have to follow what you're compelled to do. And I think, you know, that kind of dovetails a little bit with this remote CEO thing. You know, if you feel like it's time to get out the door, Get out the door. Get out the door. Get out the door. You can check out that Seinfeld video. I think it's an hour-long documentary, plus other things mentioned in this episode, tropicalmba.com slash remote CEO. One of your compulsions, Ian, is listening to rap music. Let's do some rap and reviews. What do you got for us this week? Obsession. So something happened the other day. This is very weird because as I'm looking at my phone right now, I thought I thought I had every single album from this man. And then you told me that I didn't. And I just thought, like, I'm a super fan. Like, I wear this, I would wear this man's name on my shirt. That's how dedicated I am. Can you be a super fan if you have not visited the Wikipedia page? That's all I got to say. Obviously, that's not where I get my music, but (laughs) this is the best Albanian rapper to ever live on this planet. His name is Action Bronson, and this is called Pouches of Tuna. Aloha, Chrissy says, thanks, Dan and Boss Man. They managed to think big and keep it real at the same time from the great country of Switzerland. They changed my mindset about location independence. Before, I thought it was lucky individuals, and now I think it's with hard work, it's a viable alternative. Yes, I totally agree. Chrissy, if anything, we just want to demonstrate that it's viable if you grind it out, if you stay focused. Thousand days plus plus. Keep cracking. Thanks for listening. Anna from the United States, this podcast should come with a disclaimer. Listening is going to change your life forever. I would definitely buy that. When I started listening to Tropical NBA, I was starting down a career path and I wasn't sure it was going to work after school. Now I'm literally sipping from a coconut and admiring a beautiful tropical sunset. Listening to this podcast will make you far more equipped to run your business and your chances of success will increase. Can't wait for the podcast to come out each week. Thank you, Anna, for saying it for us because we can't say it for ourselves. Yesterday, I was in the steam room. Ian, I love steam I was talking to a business guy. He's like, hey, what do you do? And I was like, hey, man, I'm a podcaster. Don't listen to it unless you want it to change your life. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about steam rooms that I've realized, and thank you so much for turning me on to those. So, like, when I'm ever at a hotel now, I got to use the steam room. But what I figured out is, like, you can just look like you went to the gym and not actually have to go to the gym. And, you know, I've actually heard that on an episode of Barbell Shrugged that there's some truth to it. Apparently, that going sauna steam will maintain your muscle mass longer if you want to go on one of those lazy brownie binges like I'm Crazy. All right, five stars from Johnny Utah. Yeah, but. He's one of the four or five entrepreneurial podcasts I listen to each week. TMBA is hands down my favorite. You guys have been instrumental in helping me start my business, fantasyjocks.com. I hope to personally thank you over a cocktail at a DC event 
soon. We will definitely take you up on that, Dustin. Sebastian Johnson, the show to listen to for budding entrepreneurs. I found Tropical MBA a few years ago. Damn, we've been doing this a few years, man. And I've been tuning in every week to get my fix of entrepreneurial awesomeness. Dan and Ian, seriously over-deliver value. You owe it to yourself to listen to this podcast. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you, everybody, for leaving us reviews, your comments, your feedback. We love them. This week, we'll be at tropicalmba.com slash remote CEO. And we'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.